The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight, we delve into the depths of Russia's occult, pagan, and mystical traditions. We are joined by Dr. Christopher McIntosh, a British-born writer and historian who has written extensively on the esoteric traditions of the West. He has a doctorate in history from Oxford University, a degree in German from London University, and a diploma in Russian from the United Nations Language School. In his book, Occult Russia, Dr. McIntosh takes us on a journey through the spiritual currents that have always been a part of the Russian soul. We'll examine the survival of ancient Slavic deities, pagan practices, and folk medicine tradition in modern Russia, including the indigenous pre-Christian customs of the Mari people and the shamanic traditions of Siberia. McIntosh also discusses a precursor to modern spiritual movements in the Silver Age of 1880-1920 and the impact of the Russian Revolution and spiritual esoteric groups. He will delve into the controversial Book of Veles, branded by some as a forgery and hailed by others as an epic chronicle of the Slavic people. I will explore the implications of the modern Russian spiritual and esoteric renaissance. We'll also explore the interface between spirituality and the arts and the unique qualities of the Russian language as a medium for the sacred. He is the author of many books, including Beyond the North Wind. Join us as we explore the rich and fascinating world of Russia's occult, pagan, and mystical traditions. Will Edgar Cayce's prediction of Russia as the hope of the world come true? Or will Russia remain, as Churchill famously stated, a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma? Stay with us and find out. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hasselrich. And directly from Lower Saxony, North Germany, I'd like to welcome Dr. Christopher McIntosh. Hello, Dr. McIntosh, and welcome to Veritas. Thank you for inviting me. May I call you Christopher? Yes, call me Chris, in fact. Chris, thank you. Well, let's begin with asking you, what prompted you to write the book? And also, before we began, we started talking about your other book, about Hyperborea. Tell me more about that. Yes, it's called Beyond the North Wind. Beyond the North Wind, thank you. Well, tell me how you got into all of this, your research, and what brought you here. Well, one of the things that's always invited always fascinated me as a writer is the interface between history and myths the way that history is always turning into myth and myth often drives history an, an example an example of that is national heroes the way national heroes become mythologized and the way in which um, historical events 
and historical figures often play a mythological role, um, as though they were acting out some sort of myth mythical script. So uh, this is this is something that's always fascinated me, and an example of this is the Hyperborea myth or legend, um, which goes back to ancient Greek times when a Greek mariner sailed out from the uh, Greek colony of Massalia, which, which is present-day Marseille, and sailed out through the Pillars of Hercules, the Straits of Gibraltar, out into the Atlantic, and then up into the far north, where he came to a land of mist and ice, which may possibly have been Iceland. We don't, we don't know exactly, but it could have been Iceland. And he called this uh, Hyperborea. Um, the, the name um, meaning beyond God Boreas, God Boreas being the god of the north wind. And um, this, this took hold, this captured people's imaginations and a great mystique of Hyperborea developed. Um, it, it was also, it, later on, it also came to be called Tula. Uh, the Romans called it Ultima Tula. And uh, so this, this mystique developed and um, people began to speculate about a, 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 um, an advanced civilization that may have existed in a sort of freak temperate zone in the middle of the ice in the, in the Arctic region, which um, existed for some thousands of years until the um, the ice opened up, and they, well, for, for clim climatic reasons, they um, emigrated out of the Arctic region and dispersed to various other parts of the world. Um, <clears throat> this is the legend, and this took hold in Russia, and they developed a whole sort of school of thought that the Russians were, in fact, the descendants of the Hyperboreans and that the Hyperboreans had possessed a superior sort of uh, civilization with um, uh, a, a superior wisdom tradition, which um, came, came to be thought of as, as linked with the Vedic tradition of India. There was a, um, an Indian writer called Tilak, writing around the early 20th century, who wrote a book called The Arctic home in the Vedas, um, and this this book became very popular in Russia. It's still it's still um, available in a, in in a Russian edition, and so there's this whole mystique in Russia of Hyperborea, and <clears throat> there've been a number of archaeological expeditions to the far northwest of Russia, bordering the Arctic Ocean. And there have been some interesting remains discovered there, like pyramids and paved roads and labyrinths and things of that sort, which seem to indicate a, a prehistoric habitation in that region. Um, so, and there's, there's, a, there's um, a whole sort of school of, of art in Russia, Ar artists pr producing amazing visionary scenes of, of Hyperborean cities, Hyperborean ports with um, 
people traveling around in sleighs pulled by mammoths and, and so on. So it's, it's something that's really um, taken hold in Russia. So that, that was one of the reasons why I wrote the book about Russia after the Hyperborea book, because I, I, I found that this, this list led me on to um, find out other interesting things about esoteric and mystical traditions in, in Russia. So that's really what led me to, to write the book. The word, I've heard it pronounced many ways. You say hyperborea. Some people call it hyperborea. What is yes. the correct pronunciation of the well, term? Well, I, I think you can say both, uh, actually. In doing research for your work, I found hyperborea Tula, obviously the ancient mythological city. But the interesting part uh, is that it was believed to be a paradise of eternal youth and happiness where the sun never set and the people lived in harmony with nature. Some people talk about Mount Maru. Some people talk about what's actually in the North Pole. And obviously they call it mythology or a mythological city. Yeah. Would it be possible that this actually assisted in our distant past? Uh, well, it's, it, it, yes, I, I go into this in, in my book, Beyond the North Wind. Um, there's, there's no really direct evidence of, um, there's, there's, there's indirect evidence that there might have been such a civilization in the far north. One, one of the problems is obviously that um, you think, well, it would have been too cold that far north for a civilization to have existed. But the climate has changed uh, over, the, over time. And there are, there are parts of, for, for example, Spitsbergen, which is only about 700 miles from the North Pole. And vegetation has been discovered there, which uh, normally only grows in temperate zones. So there's, there's, there's evidence like that, that, that the Arctic region might have been a lot warmer at one point. And uh, there's some indirect evidence because there are, well, um, certain... Um, Technologies, for, for example, if, if for example the the um, megalithic remains that you find all over northern Europe, like um, Stonehenge in in Britain and the Callanish stones in the Hebrides, these um, are based on very advanced astronomical knowledge, astronomical and, and mathematical knowledge, and then when you consider the, for example, the technology that went into building the Viking ships, which are um, so perfectly designed that it would have, would have taken something like a, a thousand years of, of trial and error to, to produce such a design. So the, 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 these things seem to seem to point. To there having been some precursor civilization, which um, then um, spread to other parts of the world and um, transmitted these these things that, that like the, um, the, the this knowledge that in, enabled the building of the megaliths and the the, the 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 Viking ships and so on. Well, not only northern Europe, but what about Easter Island and the Moai in the middle of the ocean? Hundreds, if not yes. thousands, of miles from the closest land. Yes, that 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 might be another 
another piece of evidence, yes. In your book, you delve into the depths of Russia's occult, pagan, and mystical traditions. Can you speak of the significance of these traditions in Russia and Russian culture and history? Yes. Well, there's there's always been a strong pagan folk culture in, in Russia, which has existed in a rather kind of uneasy relationship with the Orthodox Church. <clears throat> Russia became converted to Orthodoxy in the 10th century and um, became basically a, a Christian country. But the the old the old pagan um, the old pagan ways lived on in 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 folk traditions in the in the belief in nature spirits in the belief in household gods and, and so on and um, although there were, although there was this um, opposition from the from the church somehow they 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 achieved a kind of modus vivendi and many people uh, practice practice what is called dvoje verie which which means dual belief so they they managed somehow to be both orthodox christians and um still observe the old pagan ways well that that situation well also i, I should mention there are uh, uh, communities um peoples in Russia, like the Mari, uh, who have their, their own republic in the northwest of Russia, who, uh, well, mo most of them have by now become Orthodox Christians, but there is a certain percentage of them who have remained true to the old pagan ways. And uh, they're enjo now enjoying something of a revival. But um, there's been a big resurgence of paganism or neo-paganism, neo you could say, after the collapse of communism and the um, sort of the, the um, weakening of the monopoly of the, the church over the spiritual life of the country. So there are now, now various um, pagan movements operating. And um, for, for example, uh, there are... Uh, pre prehistoric sites. There's one one particularly famous one called Arkaim in the Urals, which is sort of the equivalent of Stonehenge in England. And every year at midsummer, thousands of people go there to to celebrate the the, the um, summer solstice. And uh, the, uh, the the summer the summer ritual is is called Ivan Kopala. Uh, Kupala being the the god of of vegetation and and for fertility and the harvest, and he has be, he has been sort of co opted by the by the church. So um, the, the the church calls this festival Ivan Kupala, John Kupala, linking linking it with the feast of Saint John. So um, there's there and there, there are other. Uh, Pagan deities that have been co-opted in a similar way, uh, rather like in in Western Europe, where where um, many of the old pagan deities became Catholic saints. And um, as I say, there's there's quite a big pagan movement. There are now um, pagan priests who 
perform pagan weddings, pagan funerals, and, and so on, pagan rites of passage. How did all that change after the Bolsheviks took over in the early 20th century? Uh, well, the, the Bolsheviks, of course, were basically atheistic and um, basically opposed to any form of, of religion. But it took it took some time. The, 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 after the, after the revolution, their the, the, the first target was really the, the Orthodox Church, and uh, they went very systematically about uh, about crushing the the church, um, destroying churches, and closing seminaries, and um, <clears throat> arresting and murdering priests, and so on. But um, it, it took longer for the Bolsheviks to um, get round to <clears throat> attacking other forms of religion. For, for example, for a long time, the the sham, sh sh shamans, the shamanic communities in um, <clears throat> in Siberia, were le were left alone. Um, and um, in interestingly enough, there were various esoteric and occult groups that survived for quite some time after the after the 1917 revolution in fact right through to the the 1920s um, but, but um, after Stalin um, be became leader uh, things really uh, um, were really tightened up and um, I think by by about by about the 1940s, the the whole sort of pagan esoteric spiritual scene had had virtually been crushed or, or gone underground. <clears throat> um, and it wasn't until the 1960s, uh, around the 1960s, with some some liberalisation, that um, that. Um, these movements started to come out into the open again, and well, we, of course, after 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 Perestroika, after Gorbachev and Perestroika, um, then um, it, it all it, it all opened up, and um, then uh, <clears throat> after the final collapse of communism, um, there was a, a great upsurge of every, every kind of re religion and form of spirituality. You can imagine, and uh, that, that's one of the, the interesting things about present-day Russia, because th there was this there was this great hunger after the starvation, after the spiritual starvation diet of the communist years. There was this great hunger, uh, it, it, for, uh, the spiritual hunger, uh, because the Russians are um, basically a very spiritual people, and. Um, the communist years were completely unnatural for them. So, I, I, I in, in my book, I compare, I, I, I um, compare the situation to a river which was long icebound, and then, then there came a thaw, and the, the river started moving again. And uh, that's what we're seeing today. All we have to do is look at the map of Russia to see how vast it is, even with former Soviet territory not being part of Russia anymore. And by the way, I remember when communism stopped in that part of the world. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.